weed. Weed. Money. Imagine that you pull up to your weed dealer's place and it's Marco Animorphs himself. He just he just sells you oregano and tells you it's weed. Yeah, that's Marco's maneuver. That's Marco's maneuver. Waiting for a break in the rain. Waiting for the moment to change your lane. I came home from the wasteland. Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl. Created out of nothing like a comic book girl. Hey! Rachel has mommy issues. We knew this. <laughs> Who has the most issues? Jay? Who suffers the most? Jay, because he subscribed to like six different basketball magazines. <laughs> <laughs> and a few comics that he gets the monthly issues mm-hmm, of. Yeah. Not anymore, haha. Mm. Not, Not anymore, haha, indeed. <laughs> oh, man. Now he's just a refugee. Today we're reading Animorphs Volume 50, The Ultimate, narrated by Cassie, Cassie. who it's is morphing the- into. An owl? Sorry, it's not the last book, though. No. Why is it called The Ultimate? Well, the next one is called The Absolute, and those kind of mean the same thing. (laughs) Isn't the last journal called The Beginning? Mm -hmm. Irony! Well, there's a reason the last journal is called The Beginning. I think it's it's for irony reasons. No, I can't wait until you guys find out why. No, I'm pretty sure it's because of... Keep telling yourself that. Because it's ironic. I only have my notes because I read this on a paper copy, and I didn't write a synopsis because we stopped doing those because... We're, we're not, not in, in a school class anymore. anymore. I wish we were able to talk about this in school so we could yell about stuff and get angry at the curriculum. Get angry. We could get angry at whoever's idea it was to have us keep rereading the books after <laughs> maybe we were done with that because two of us got expelled for reasons. Erso. Erso. It's constructive that we're doing this. Constructing what? On, on a scale of one to ten, how well would you say that we are uh, honoring Bradley Eustace Leon's memory? which I believe was a goal of yours. The fact that we're here today and stuff. You guys are in the lame. jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion hey, sleeps tonight. Hey, how about you don't use any ableist slurs like lame, and how about you also synopsize this book for us because you're holding a paper copy right Wait, now. Wait, I thought we weren't doing synopses because we can do whatever the f- we want. I just don't remember what, what happened in this book. I have my notes, which are... It's the one about disabled people. My and... one on chapter 20 <laughs> is just, oh, sh- oh, sh- oh, sh- Oh, it is about disabled people. I remember now. Yeah. They start, like, with a drill, and they screw up the drill, and then- Cassie like, forgets that they're not supposed to demorph before a certain signal is no, met. No, she, she like, can't morph for a second. She, like, has- She just gets She's distracted. panicking because she has second thoughts about everything. Bringing her parents into it. Yeah. Oh, her parents get really good characterization in this book, but, well, specifically yeah. her dad, but we'll get yeah, into yeah, that also later. Yeah, the end of this book is absolutely- Buck wild. Yeah. I remember so, some crazy stuff happens, but I, remember I guess let's anyway. not skip around, but also. Yeah, so it, it opens with everyone being dysfunctional. Jake um, is like super duper traumatized after the loss of his yeah, family. entire family, he's except like, Rachel. Yeah, he's yep. like suffering extremely, and Cassie's like, he's different now. It's like, yeah. yeah. Marco has kind of just checked himself out because he, like, his personal emotional life, he seems like he's actually doing pretty well because both of his parents are back and. I, I don't know. He, he says <laughs> yeah. some stuff, but he also is a little bit like, oh, no, we're good. We're good to chill. And Cassie's like, uh, extremely we're not. And he's like, oh, yeah. Marco's parents are fine, but Cassie's parents are like, 
really focused on small details, like the fact that the housing for the hork during a siege is, like... To be fair, yeah. they make a really good point, because you do not want to put a bunch of people in yeah. an airless room during a siege. They do, but also, I realistically, I don't think that they would last long enough in a siege for it to matter. Okay, but... What? Mm, I don't know about that. The whole point of a siege is that it's protracted, is that it takes a really long time. I, I don't think they had enough ability to, like, build a structure that would survive a siege. I think they could. I mean, in as much as it's more about the supplies that you have, as yeah. long as you can keep them I think up. I learned they this in found, siege school. They're basically screwed. True. And, um, then, and Cassie's parents don't seem to realize the gravitas of the situation yeah. that way. I mean, they haven't seen, like, a blade ship land and start firing dragon beams all over the place so that's a good point everything is put into a different perspective when that happens there's still some mild theoreticalness about the whole thing to them meanwhile rachel's mother naomi is causing problems I on purpose on purpose i think she's really interesting in this journal because she's the only one who's like am i the only one who sees that we're being led by literal children and that maybe <laughs> that's not ideal and everyone else is like yeah that's that's what's going on we see that and she's like, this is a problem. And yeah. they're all like, no, because I think they all sort of recognize that their own children are much more competent and capable than they are in this situation. But mm -hmm. Naomi is sort of like, yeah, yeah, she's still sort of stuck in the world of normalcy. And I'm the adult in this situation and I need to be in charge because also she's a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. We don't say that here. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually she gets overruled by the other adults in a meeting later on, if I and, remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. Also, it comes down to them being like, okay, we're, yes, we're all these kids, but Jake has to lead all of us because he knows what he's doing. And Cassie has this moment where she's like, Hold, Jake, hold. I know you're traumatized and suffering so bad right now, but yeah. please, like... I don't please. recall Axe being in the chapter at the beginning where they're just describing how everybody is dysfunctional, nor do I remember, actually, Tobias being mentioned specifically. They're just having uncle-nephew bonding they're time. They're just having an avuncular bonding session. And <laughs> they're, they're around a little bit. They're around a they're little bit. They're playing checkers, checkers somewhere. The last sort of, and the, the, probably the biggest one for this beginning situation with Cassie sort of going around seeing everybody being dysfunctional is Jake, who is just kind of overwhelmed, and they exchange some harsh words between the two of them, and Cassie sort of does a little bit of social engineering and is like, Jake told everybody that we're gonna call a <laughs> meeting, and it's like, actually, I am the one who's calling them. I love it when Cassie gets devious. I know it ha it's been so long since we talked about this, but manipulative, devious Cassie, while it is not necessarily good for her mental health, is in many ways my favorite Cassie. Yeah, they uh, they get the group together and the parents are like, well, Jake, you called us here? And Jake is like, nope. And Cassie's like, all right, the jig is up. I called everybody here. Yeah. Gentlemen, I suppose you're wondering why I've gathered you here today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cassie makes a lot of interesting executive decisions in this book yeah the first bit that i've written down that i have a note on is that after this beating where they all just sort of reaffirm jake's position as the leader and he's not thrilled about this he's like he's 16 he's 16 and he is suffering on so many factors but all of these adults are like yeah i guess we're gonna throw our weight behind this guy at the end cassie says some stuff to jake and jake is like are you patronizing me and she's like yeah yeah <laughs> That bit, that bit I particularly loved here. I'm going to grab this book and try to find that bit. Yeah, one thing that I really liked the... from the beginning with the parents and stuff is when Naomi is yelling at Rachel and is like, how did you not so arrogant? And I'm like, Naomi, 
you and your daughter are the same person. Right. I'm sorry to break it to you. Is, is this the book or is the last book where she's like, is everyone okay with the fact that my daughter is some kind of messed up murder machine or something? It's like... Yeah, I think she says that or something like that in this this journal. Imagine the, hearing that like, coming from your parent. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, mom. They're they're like basically the same person, and that makes for kind of a terrible mother-daughter duo in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Naomi is Rachel, but sort of acclimated to society mm-hmm. in a way that Rachel, Rachel was quite not but they civilized her. <laughs> yeah, well, they, t- they, they kind of like... <laughs> Domesticated! <laughs> Naomi, <laughs> Naomi is the grizzly bear that Rachel is, but if that grizzly bear is a circus animal. Naomi's domesticated Ooh, Rachel. That's so good. Yeah. I don't remember at what point they sort of come to realize that, oh, they are actually wicked understaffed. Um, um, I think they kind of realize it from the beginning. From the beginning. Because the drill goes so badly. They should be raising their their rate of pay. And exactly who is dispensing the pay uh, in this in this question there so? Who, Jake. Who, in this hypothetical model? They have to organize against Jake. I, be, given the way that you said that and given the expression on your face, I am not going to ask you how you think Marco is paying them. Anyway, he is 16, Erso! Anyway. That's not what I was implying! The way that you, you said it in your face. No, we're looking at no. your face than anything else. Marco is... Having a good time. He's just chilling. And so what is he dispensing Seven as pay, Erso? Weed. 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 Money. Imagine that you pull up to your weed dealer's place and it's Marco Animorphs himself. Hmm. <laughs> Aren't you like 10? <laughs> he just still... he just sells you oregano and tells you it's weed. Yeah, that's Marco's maneuver. That's Marco's maneuver. Tobias is the one who actually grows weed. Yeah, that's true. Tobias grows like uh, hand cultivated organic weed. Yeah, Tobias knows about all no actually knows about all the terpenes and stuff and they work together. And Jake doesn't like to let anybody know that he smokes weed, but oh, he yeah. like needs it to fall asleep. He's got like a whole bunch of like empty like toilet paper tubes and a whole bunch of dryer sheets and he's like, Oh, these are just for my laundry and stuff. I'm not Yeah. No, you're totally right about that. I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking that Marco is, like, happily skipping around to everyone across the little camp and just, like, how are your lives going? And everyone's like, I'm great. I'm with my parents. (laughs) So emotional insensitivity is the thing that Marco's dispensing in this hypothetical (laughs) capitalist model. Big mood. Cassie's like, I heard that 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 one kid from school injected a weed and died instantly that one time. Rachel has tried weed, but she doesn't like it. No, no, I'd say it... Rachel can't have weed because the one time she had it, it made her, like, hallucinate because she's one of those people who has a terrible reaction to weed. Yeah, or either that or she just doesn't like to be chill. Mm, she doesn't like to mm-hmm, calm down. Mm-hmm. Or no, she tried weed once and she had really bad paranoid. weed. And she got paranoid! Yes! <laughs> yes! yes. That totally super paranoid. Oh and she's like, I'm never touching that again, never even though it was again. just bad weed. Yeah. Disclaimer that I have never touched a weed in my life. Yeah, but... I'm, I'm saying this all from the perspective of someone who doesn't know what drugs are. <laughs> Like. They've lost touch with the Yerk resistance movement. Yeah. They don't they don't know. Also, the Yerks in general have just a like up their intelligence efforts and the Chi are having a much harder time like gathering intel yeah. from Yerks. So So ultimately Cassie is the one who they come to the conclusion, but Cassie is the first one who voices it, and she mentions that after Cassie calls her her fake meeting, Jake calls a real meeting and is like, okay, but what do we <laughs> actually do? Fake Jake meeting. Fake Jake and his real meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um and he's like, okay, but we need to sort of expand upon a strategy, and it is Cassie who ultimately voices what they are all thinking, which is that we need to use the morphic technology on children in children's hospitals. Oh, God. Who are not going to be controllers because Yerks they're disabled. are ableist. Well, 
I think it's better to frame it not as because of anything about them, but because of something about the year. It's kind of like how ableism is always about the ableist person, not about the disabled person. I think there's a good way. I was intending the same thing, but the way that you're saying it is clearer and better. Thank so you. let's do that. I am clear and good at things so sometimes. So Cassie, as soon as the words are out of her mouth, has a whole bunch of moral compunctions. Reasonable. Um, as, so do reasonable. Her, as do her parents. Um, yeah. Yeah, just as they're about to head out, Cassie encounters her dad. I think Cass probably... dad anamorphsy. As, as a characterization <laughs> moment, I think it's actually my favorite moment in the book. My favorite moment in the book was where those kids morphed for the first time. And there was like... All those cool, cool moments where they were like just so joyful. My favorite sentence in the book is in chapter 22 and it's who wants to wrestle this big green baby? <laughs> I love Colette. If you look at my notes, the place where I wrote I love Colette is that line actually. <laughs> Being accident was it Colette? Sure, Colette. I mean, whenever I have people ask me like, oh, why are you using a cane? I come up with all kinds of stuff. So one time I did it with like a broken arm because I also had a broken arm. And so one time... I was doing it for like, why do you have a broken arm? And I was like, oh, I did this, I did that. And one of the answers I was giving was lion taming. And this teacher looked at me with like horror in her eyes. I was like, what would happen? And she said, you're making fun of that poor woman. I was like, what would happen? And she's like, <laughs> like early this morning, like on the news, there was a report that a lion tamer just died being mauled by a lion. No. That's I'm horrible. so sorry. Ow. I had no idea. They go to the children's hospital. They pass through a costume shop on their way through because they're being chased oh by God. controllers. Narco gets like a, a really silly like magician's outfit, but then actually does a magic trick where he produces a dove from out of nowhere. And it's a I, pigeon. I mean, they're the same. But. but are they stalking doves in the costume? No, he like grabs it somewhere because mm -hmm. it's like got a broken wing. He just grabs it somewhere? Mm -hmm. anyway, His Marco's... reflexes are honed by years of war. Anyway, Marco's incredible. <laughs> and they're all in really goofy costumes and they decide to pose as... Well, Cassie's in a racist costume. Wait, what? She's what? a yeah. mystical fortune teller. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I'm looking at the G-slur on yeah. page 78 here. Is handicapped not a term that is... No. What does that even mean? Disabled people don't like handicapped. Although it's not as bad as differently abled, which they also use, and which made me see red for a moment. Uh, anyway, they give the, the Warfing Cube. I, so let me get the bit that you specifically mentioned that was the really fun because I just passed it. They explain the whole situation to them. They morph in front of them. Uh, do you want to... Uh, no. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, I do want to. Carefully <laughs> sort of sort through this so I'm keeping all the pages that I am looking at. They make perfect sense and definitely are not vague okay. at all. <laughs> um, uh, such do. as... Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, I've got all the pages. Just the up. words, my Jake, um, with a little picture of a, a child crying in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? It's uh, from my neighbor Totoro. It's, it's called Rain Child, and it's what from my, my neighbor from? Totoro. Oh, it's from the book. Uh, what here. part? She calls him my Jake towards the end, and I was like, oh. here, here's Three birds of prey perched on the roof of the rehab and watched the wildest, wackiest, most joyful pigeon rodeo ever. Pigeon rodeo. Because the minute James and the others had Yeehaw! wings. Because the minute James and the others had wings, they were transformed. And thought speak. And thought speak, for Timmy, this was the biggest miracle. Rubber baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby buggy bumpers, he chanted. This is fantastically fantabulous, uh, fantastically fabulous, fortuitously felicitous. Timmy laughed at his own alliterative excesses. You want to know what hell on earth is, he asked? What? Having a large vocabulary and encyclopedic knowledge of musical theater and a speech impediment. Colette landed on the tar beside me. Flying is the coolest thing I've ever, ever done. I can't believe this is really happening. You didn't mind the morphing, I asked? I didn't gross you out? Are you kidding? After spying? Final tap or two. Morphine oh. is nothing. It's like 
as easy as eating yogurt from a tube. Rubber baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby buggy bumpers, rubber baby buggy Okay, buggy theater buggy. kid. <laughs> red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Um, I I'm not a theater I kid. I am a mother pheasant plucker. I pluck mother pheasants. I'm the meanest mother pheasant plucker that ever plucked a mother pheasant. <laughs> you are better at that one than I am. <laughs> complicated feelings about this whole book as you might expect there's so many things to get into noted critical and fantabulous cripple cassandra a kelly what's your middle name aaron but a-r-r-i-n to match my mother's name no it's actually actually it is okay that's fair (laughs) anyway actually maybe it's anyway (laughs) i have so many complicated feelings about this whole journal because it's actually in some ways it's not as bad as i remember I think when I read it for the first time, I was much more of a as a person, much more willing to be critical, and now I am less so. But that scene does still feel very adjacent to like the way that cure narratives are written in a lot of media, where it's like... Right. The word transformed is used. Yeah. Which literally they are transforming, so... Yeah, it's like I get but... it, and in this context it's nowhere near as bad as it is with like, especially like fantasy or sci-fi cure narratives, but it still is just like, this is like, it's written in the same way that one of those is, if that makes sense. That is true. It's from, it's from the perspective of abled people. Unfortunate. Yes. Abled people should not be allowed to have perspectives, thank you. Agreed. Take away my perspective. Just give it to Get out of here, Erso. <laughs> Especially the hell on earth bit. I'm like, there's assistive technology, guys. There's like mm-hmm. so many ways to communicate. Right. Even in the 90s, they had so much technology accident back then. Admittedly, the kids are not being given all the resources they need, as we see with Pedro's meds being late. But still. I'm tempted to be an abled person with a perspective on this one which is that perhaps that's just tread lightly yeah perhaps that's just perhaps that's just teenage theater kid hyperbole that's true he is a theater kid but i would I agree mean, overall though, yeah it is a joy like morphing is a joy for everybody because it's a new yeah capacity and ability is a joy for everyone <laughs> I can't even help it. I just fun for the whole family. <laughs> it really is fun for the whole family now because they're all in the Horde Pajir Valley. But yeah, so I mean, I think it, it just represents people who are very underserved in society being given something that's really beautiful. I also wonder about the fact that uh, James's lieutenants are both the kids who got cured by the morphing process. I was thinking about that as well. Why did that, why was that the decision? That seems weird and I mean, dumb. It's like, I mean, if they're the best people for the job, maybe. Maybe, but the fact that they are also the kids who get it's, cured by the morphing process makes like, me go, hmm. Yeah, it seems like that was like a decision that was made maybe oh, to... Are talking about the leaders? Yes. I'm talking about the leaders, yeah, yes. that part pissed me off so much. I feel yeah. like that was a decision made to appease Axe. Oh, who gives a about Axe? Axe is just ableist, and I think all of them know it now. Why would they bother doing that? Axe it's... uses the uh, the Andalite ableist slur against these human children, which makes me want to put Kill. him in a time capsule and send him <laughs> Kill. Right, Kill. Kill. right back to the Andalite homeworld, yeah, being like, hey, come collect your trash. What the heck? Come collect your, your trash yeah. uncle. Because I don't know, it felt like being able-bodied was specifically tied to being a leader in this journal because all of the people you see being described as leaders are able-bodied and or become able-bodied yeah also i felt like the way that james was described made me a little weirded out it really reminded me of um 
brief personal digression. I was in a play a little while ago where I played a disabled character who coincidentally is named Kelly, uh, like my last name, spelled different, and it was a rewritten version of that play meant to be put on during a pandemic. And part of the way that it was rewritten had this one character who was introducing the main character to my character who is disabled, like showing a picture of her and talking about how she, attractive she is, and then my character comes on screen and is visibly disabled. And it was so weird because it was like written to have that in it when it wasn't there before. And it really felt like it was building up the shocking twist that this like very pretty young woman was also disabled. And I felt like there was a lot of that with James as well. It felt like it was really emphasizing his physical attractiveness and how that was kind of a contrast to the fact that he was initially disabled. Yeah. This is from the perspective of some young kids and Cassie who amongst those young kids has, I think, a crush on some of these people. Like it, I think it's- Cassie has a type apparently and it's like blonde leader dudes. Yeah. <laughs> She would be so into Captain America. Yeah. They get some cool disabled morphin teens. Um, I wish I was a cool disabled morphin teen. If only I had been successful in my yeah. um, attempt to steal an Escafil device, I totally would have given it to Thank you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. It would have been really one. useful. They get back to the Hork-Bajir camp in time for Cassie to have this interaction with her father that I think is my favorite moment in the book. Mm. Cassie's dad is like, please tell me I misunderstood. Please tell me you haven't actually convinced disabled children to participate in this nightmare. Jake spoke. We had no other choice. There's always a choice, my father said angrily. Jake, I thought you knew that. What's the, who, where's the boy I used to know? The boy who was so clear on right and wrong and we all know where he is. He's in trauma land. Mood. And she goes on a digression about that. She says, Dad, I don't have time to argue ethics with you. I don't have time to convince you that sometimes you have to do something uncomfortable to make things right in the end. Which is a wild take coming from Cassie. Yeah, especially because this is not something that she, I think even in this moment, believes is the right thing yeah. to do herself. Yeah, she just does a lot of things this book because she's concerned about, I feel like she feels like she has to be the pseudo leader because she's worried about Rachel and she's worried about everybody getting off track. Yeah. She says, this is war. Every minute counts. We're fighting to save the human race. The human race, my father repeated. Okay, answer me this, Cassie. Is what you're doing with these disabled children humane? My father sounded like me, like the old me, but I wasn't that naive person anymore. I had no answer. Mm -hmm. um, and then she just bails on him and ends the conversation by just leaving. Um, and then they go and recruit more disabled children. They go to the school for the blind and it goes badly. The yeah, Yerks are there. The Yerks are there. Tom is there. Well, I guess Tom already kind of knew about his yeah. kid brother, but like they see each other and they encounter each other in the flesh for the first time. As In the it, Flesh was a great TV show. Well, not in the flesh. They've been living in the same house for a while, but they encounter each other in on the field of battle for the first time in, in sort of like knowing like, oh, my brother is here. With everything above the table, basically. Yes. And the Yerks take the Escafil device. Briefly. And then Cassie lets them keep it. The funniest thing about, like, when I was writing notes for this journal is, because, you know, I'm trying not to, like, spoil you guys for real historical events. You've been very so... gracious while you're doing this. Thank you. But so I kept in my notes being like, oh, right, this is the book where they get the Escafil device. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not. And they got back. Oh, this is the book where the Yerks get the Escafil And I kept being like, I have to delete this because if this turns out to not no. be the book where the Yerks get the Escafil device, then I'll have totally spoiled that the Yerks do get the Escafil device. Yeah, they get the Escafil device and it happens. Well, specifically Tom gets it because he Tom runs off. It. He specifically does not give it to Visser 1. Yeah. Visser 1 uh, morphs a new combat morph in chapter 23, and other than Marco driving vehicles gorilla morph, Visser 1's combat morphs are like basically my favorite part. Of are these. you into thorny vine tentacles? I love thorny vine tentacles. What are you talking about? Cassie sort of like takes executive decisions because Kelly gets hurt in battle, and she's like, you need to demorph. All those poor children 
God, that army of animals against the army of Yurks and just like yeah, yeah, it's awful. Them getting lasered up and everything. This is like day one for them, and it's like one of the most grueling battles. It's really bad. Jake escapes this carnage to chase him down to get it and force possibly a confrontation to the death. And Cassie follows him and denies him the chance to get the morphing cube back, and for also his hypothetically, uh, and also yeah. hypothetically kills it, kill his brother. She feels so capable of making all these decisions for everybody else at this point in the game i feel like this really this journal really really shows how everyone's like worst character traits are very much in play now and their good character traits are being kind of overwhelmed by like how much massive trauma they've experienced and it's just like they they are all breaking in the ways that you would expect them to break because of what we already know about their psyches Mm -hmm. and for cassie that is actually being the one who's like i know best because she does often know best to be frank she is the most emotionally adept animorph at least the one who's most willing to use her emotional adeptness for like good and helpful causes and sometimes that means that she is really overbearing about it yeah my note that i actually wrote down was you're all already so messed up honestly jake should have just killed tom like how much more traumatized is he gonna get yeah i also agree she should have let go and let him murder his brother yeah i agree and this was just i mean this is such a huge swing in terms of power this is the one thing that they had and it's just like nope what are they gonna have to resort to now in order to like keep fighting yeah this is a huge victory for can mm-hmm. impress whatever and morph whatever. And now they can't get any new Animorphs. Yep. They're stuck with the, like, 20-ish, maybe, kids that they have. Mm-hmm. At the end of this book, team cohesion within our first group of Animorphs is at an all-time low. Yeah. I have so many mixed feelings about this journal because I actually agree with a lot of what they're saying about the... Can I spoil, like, the tiniest thing? It's literally just what they end up calling the group of kids. They come up with a name for the group of new Animorphs. The Alternomorphs. Yeah, think... Auxiliary Animorphs. Yeah. Oh, they could have done better than that. I know, it's bad. Anyway. Alternomorphs. It's the name of the books. The other books. They can't do that. I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of the stuff they say about the future auxiliary animorphs. I do think that it's a smart move to go for the group of people they know that Yerks are not interested in. I do think that disabled people have just as much right to like care about the fate of the world even more because they aren't even going to like be infested and maybe have a chance somehow of fighting free they're just going to be killed or like sent into horrible camps we see that in new york city mm-hmm. because the Yerks think they're useless and they do ask them it's not yeah. like they're drafting them for battle this like honestly in a lot of ways this is probably like the most consensual decision they've made about their own bodily autonomy in a long <laughs> time yeah. because they are institutionalized right and there's actually who was it someone gets really like anti-institution and i was like oh you it was axe i think actually at one point oh, axe yeah. is like oh so you guys aren't ableist like us andalites then why are you putting these kids in this like institution where no one else hangs out with them if these people are valued then why are they kept apart why are they unseen it is a disturbing inconsistency yeah, leave it to Axe to point out the inconsistencies and injustices within our backwards society. While still being ragingly ableist, thank you, Axe and Millie. <laughs> I actually agree with so much of what they say and do when it comes to the auxiliary animorphs, but I still feel like they're sort of objectifying them because mm-hmm. they are not recruiting the auxiliary animorphs because they are especially skilled, especially good yeah. at fighting, especially principled. 
they are recruiting them because they are disabled and it is i don't know to me being disabled is a big part of my identity but it feels like it's centering that as the most important thing about them in a kind of gross way even though i get why that is tactically yeah, important it is one of the most strategically sound decisions that they've made but but it also feels really gross you know i i think that cassie's discomfort with it and her sort of like oh this has come out of my mouth but i i want to walk it back as much as i possibly can i think that I mean, if nothing else, her heart is still in the right place. Yeah. I don't know. I actually, I feel like the ways in which people express concern about the auxiliary anymorphs are usually more ableist than the, like, decision to recruit them in the first place. Because a lot of the ways that people express concern, especially before they get to, like, know them. Because they get to know them and then they're like, oh, these guys are, like, real people. Wow. But beforehand, they're like, oh, but they're such sweet, innocent children. We shouldn't recruit them into war. It's like, semi-regularly, every few months... I have to go into my neurologist's office and get electrocuted and then stabbed with large needles that he twists around in my muscles. I have pissed blood on at least one occasion. The point is, like, basically most gross bodily functions you can think of that are, like, not super, super rare, I have experienced. And this started at about age 15 is when it got really bad. So, like, and that's probably about how old these kids are. So I was not exactly a sweet innocent when I was a disabled child these kids' age. And I am disabled in a way that is considered by society to be much more functional and much more, like, able to function outside of an institution. And I'm just like, there's nothing about them that's... Oh, well, they have as much sweetness and innocence as any other kid their age and possibly a great deal less. I feel like it's in part a thing where it's like they remember what they were like and their what their lives were like before... They're trying to protect the innocence that they feel like they have lost. And oh, that's interesting. I think, you know, they're going about it in an ableist way, perhaps, because they're like... No, they're, they are. You don't have to say perhaps. <laughs> they're per- well, yeah, the perception of these children is ableist. But I, I also think that it's interesting because, like, what, it, what does it symbolize for the Animorphs about their, like, ethics that they're doing and what, what they are willing to give up and, like, not willing to give up when it comes to other people. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily, like, an ethically terrible thing to recruit the auxiliary anamorphs. Mm-hmm. I truly can't say the word auxiliary. Um, auxiliary. Auxiliary. Auxiliary? Auxiliary. 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 Uh, Alternamorphs. No. Pass me the ox cord. <laughs> Um, the auxiliary cord. The auxiliary cord. <laughs> anyway. Cord. Would you pass me the auxiliary cord? <laughs> I wish to put on some Andalite classical music. I wish to put on ambient chewing noises 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Axe, if he had, like, you know, if all this had happened maybe like 10, 20 years later, do you think Axe would be obsessed with mukbangs? No. Harkening back to his Andalite home, he hey. puts on... Mukbangs hey, Cassandra, are not that he, they are not necessarily sexual. Cassandra, I hate everything you just said so much. <laughs> they they don't have to be sexual, okay? It's not always a sexual. When were they ever? Oh god, I didn't no, know I they were a, sexual. I, think, I, think I didn't know of, people got off on them. I think a lot of times it is a sex thing. I hate this. You yeah. Uh, <laughs> so him back to his Andalite home, Axe and Milius Gareth still will put on ASMR of horse hoof beats and be like. <laughs> Homestuck in the like desert world with all the horses. Yes, exactly. And the background noise for that's like one eight hundred. Are you clapping? <laughs> I got these big meaty thighs. 
one eight hundred. Are you slapping? <laughs> Call now. <laughs> that seen is on TV. Just... Order now for a free supply of. <laughs> Did you just slap yourself just for the bit? <laughs> she just slapped herself in the face. Commit. Commit to the bit. I want to morph. Anyone who morphs is the most fortunate kid on the planet. Do you want to deal with all the others they had to deal with? Unless you're forced by uh, the government to become an offlet, which ruins your promising career as an EMT. Does that happen to your friend? Yeah. Yeah, my EMT buddy who got the morphing technology? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's an offlet now. Okay, I know this is inappropriate, but like, as what? No one uses fax machines, but call, you'll hear the noise. Statues left by ancient Greeks, the perfect cheeks of goddesses and boys. Piled in the closet, broken toys. I have my own personal favorite line in this entire journal, which is... Is it not who wants to wrestle this big green baby? Okay, it is also that. <laughs> it is also that. But it is also, Marco made a few remarks about guys in tights. Gay! Gay! <laughs> um, yeah, that's very gay, Marco. Marco's got a couple good gay moments yeah. in the next book or two. There was also just a lot of, like, disability etiquette that I got really steamed about. Like, yes, you're supposed to wait for the guy with a speech impediment to finish talking. No, you're not supposed to stare at people. Do not touch people's wheelchairs. I swear to God, I'll kill you. There was a, a lot. They wrote a lot in the interim period of time while the kid with the speech impediment was attempting to say a word. And that so made chill. me super uncomfortable. I was yeah. just like, just... Some people just take a little longer. Like, yeah. whenever I'm talking to one of my friends God. who, like, who has a speech impediment or just, like, you know, takes a while to speak... I'm a really fidgety person. It's not easy for me to sit there and wait, but I do it anyway because it's the correct thing to do. People are just so very much not used to... I think it would be rude if you were looking at your smartphone while somebody was waiting to finish a sentence. I mean, usually with my friends, they know that just because I'm not looking at them doesn't mean I'm not paying attention. Okay. And they know that I usually am like, eh, I'm doing something I don't something, know, that would I'm strike listening. me as wicked rude, but I'm also, I, would I like also to, don't have a speech impediment. I'm gonna let you finish. I would like to point out that you both have interrupted me so many times <laughs> when I'm sorry. trying to say things. To talking about down. the etiquette of not interrupting people when they're trying to say things. <sighs> there is a sort of delicious irony to that, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't remember what I was saying! Ugh. I also loved the part where, like, Marco shows up in magician costume, and James is like, who's the show here? Us or you? Because everyone's <laughs> staring at them. <laughs> the way that they keep, like, grabbing James's wheelchair and dragging him back to, like, talk to him about the whole Animorphs thing. I get it's important, I get it's the fate of the world, but, like, oh my god! Yeah, that's real. But yeah, I think, oh, you were saying something about how people... Are, this is what we kept interrupting you about. You were saying something about how people aren't used to... Um... <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, how people aren't used to having to deal with disabled people and people who like have speech impediments. Or oh, yeah. Just the development of accommodations through the course of time mm -hmm. has been like an important... I mean, this is post-ADA and post-deinstitutionalization, which is why it really rubs me the wrong way that's mm -hmm. going on. That makes sense. But they're kids and they're bad at it, and I think it's yeah. interesting how that has developed over time to be, like, a an actual element of our society and etiquette. Like, you know, they don't... I feel like... It was just funny, because I remember that Cassie mentioned Miss Manners in one of these books, and <gasps> then in this one, it's like, where are their manners absolutely in any capacity here? But... 
I mean, fate of the world and all that, yeah. so. Children in the 90s who are bad at social issues. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the reason that they're bad at it and the reason that they don't know how to interact with these kids a lot of the time is precisely because of institutionalization. I mean, it goes back so far. Do you know, I don't know if people who like haven't studied disability studies realize this, but there used to be literal laws against being visibly disabled in public. Yeah. I am not even kidding. They are called ugly laws. God. They are called ugly laws. Let me repeat that. It was not just being like visibly disabled in public. It applied to other groups of people who were considered an eyesore. The transgenders. Yeah. I think it was mostly aimed at houseless people, but likely oh. there was a lot of overlap because of marginalization. Yeah, the transgenders. <laughs> Trans folks are probably, they probably fall under Comstock laws. Even though the huge deinstitutionalization push was like decades before and people were supposed to be out of institutions, the problem with the huge deinstitutionalization push is that there was never really any community support set up for the people who were leaving institutions and there should have been reminds me of the history of uh u.s intervention in the middle east a little bit ah we're gonna uh we're gonna we're gonna do you a save yep. we're gonna save uh, you from these mm-hmm. things and we're not gonna provide any supportive infrastructure and oh look why are you all so mad at us now basically if you're going to try to dismantle an oppressive system you need to provide supportive infrastructure or else it's just gonna go badly man speaking of oppressive systems did you see the headline about the uh like morph detecting technology i saw this i can't believe this uh, it's so terrifying it's like like, it's like it was aimed at you parker (laughs) yeah a little bit oh god yeah they're like oh it's to keep everybody safe it's to prevent those rogue morphers because there are so many of those it just feels like another like war against terrorism and they keep doing that whole thing where they're like oh, well, it doesn't save any of your information unless you actually are detected to be, like, an unregistered morpher. But it's like, oh, really? It's a scanner that, like, scans... I don't know what. They won't say what. It's a black box. Uh, anybody... Something about your DNA. And, ooh, they're not going to save any information. Right. Yeah, Does anybody right? remember who Edward Snowden is? Or, like... Clearly why not. he's important to you know <laughs> the course of american history yeah society has forgotten apparently i mean i think edward snowden might have been a douchebag but the point still stands the point stands that he exposed yeah, a yeah, yeah. massive illegal surveillance operation by the united states based on information that was supposed to be private mama mia here we go again mama how can i resist you anyway i imagine we'll be doing some sort of some action sort of how can i resist you oh mama mia sorry to mock your heritage here so i okay so i did read ahead a little bit and there mm-hmm. is there is um there's a lot of action in the next one next one by the way we're reading uh animorphs volume 51 the absolute which features marco morphing into a duck on the cover um, oh this one yes it's basically they go to my hometown it's basically yeah my the, old hometown the next book is basically directed by michael bay mm-hmm. and it really made me think because i was reading it was so I was reading this, I was reading that book, and I was also reading the press release about this new morph detecting tech, and it it just made me sort of think about the fact that actual resistance doesn't look like a Michael Bay movie. Actual resistance is... Yeah, we can't. Um, <laughs> I want to I walk sexily away from an explosion. Yeah, but... Just one time in my life. Walking sexily away from an explosion Doesn't is usually not how sort of lasting social change gets made on... Lasting, uh, also, also lasting like, social change is made through morphing into ducks. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, apparently. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, I think the walking away from an explosion, like, looking all cool thing doesn't work, because, like, the sound wave or the shock wave or whatever, like, knocks you over. I saw it on Mythbusters 3000, you know, the show with the two robots that have those, like, weird personalities programmed into them. And Don't they like, watch old movies and make fun of them? No, that's a different one that also has 3000 in the name for some reason. Don't use the same number as another show. Don't blame me. I didn't come up with it. There are so many shows. I need them to have different numbers, not the same number. Does that mean that all of the shows in the world are limited to the, like, number of real numbers in the world? Well, yes, but there is a theoretically infinite number of real How do you whole know? numbers. Have you tested it? Have, have I counted it? every number? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Cassandra. <laughs> I have not counted every number. <laughs> then how do you know they don't end? That is like, okay, but genuinely this horrifies me. What if numbers aren't infinite? What if someday we- They run, are! What if someday we run out of numbers? We won't! <laughs> Math is fake anyways. This counted to billions of digits of pi! We're not gonna run out! Do you want more pi? Oh, actually I do. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe. Stay for a Stay Stay strafe. Flares and smurf. Okay, anyway. The Morph Report is on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we are paying someone to transcribe all of our episodes. We have a variety of tiers to choose from. Some of our tiers have some pretty juicy rewards. For example, if you pay enough money, you can even force us to watch the TV show and potentially read the other series by K.A. Applegate and Michael Grant, Everworld. We would really love it if you would check us out and consider supporting us. Thanks to Lee Zangari for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at leezangari.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Potomorphs, tweet at us or send us an email and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. love the Animorph series? How about podcasts? Do you love podcasts? Well, then listen no further, dear listener, and allow me to introduce the Animorphs podcast directory. Here you'll find an ever-growing list of Animorphs-themed podcasts to sit your every Animorphin desire. Check it out. We'll see you there.